We are in Champions League, man. That was my Dilly din, dilly dong, come on. Into Sheringham and Solskjaer has won it. I will love it if we beat them. Love it. This is the Modern Soccer Coach Podcast with Gary Kearney. Hello, welcome to the Modern Soccer Coach Podcast. My name is Gary Kernin. Joining us for this episode is Jack Cassidy. He is the Senior Professional Development Phase Coach for the Under-21s at Cambridge United. We got in contact a couple of months ago. He put together a Premier League goal analysis report, which I saw on LinkedIn. I thought was really, really interesting and went through it. He's also then used that work to suggest, advise ways to link it to session design. And I think it's a brilliant, brilliant topic. So I want to get him on here to talk about it. The document, the study is available on the link below in the podcast. So after you listen to this or before you listen to this, please go check it out. It's a fantastic piece of work. As always, please let me know what you think at Modern Soccer Coach on Instagram. Plenty of resources on the Modern Soccer Coach website. This week we are launching and Mikel Arteta possession session six exercises in total absolutely free really really good document that'll be out this week modernsoccercoach.com thanks for all the support here's Jack and Joy Jack thanks so much for joining me today on the Modern Soccer Coach podcast really really excited to have you on yeah no thanks for having me Gary it's uh, good to connect and looking forward to, to talking football do you think we still have an issue in the coaching world with people rocking up and just delivering something they've done before or they thought of on the way in or they picked up on social media earlier that day? I think it's really difficult, isn't it? Because it's definitely sort of contextual in terms of it's it's sometimes difficult to criticise that parent who's given up. You know, they might have finished work at six o'clock. The session starts at 6.30. They're, they're, they're dashing in, haven't had an opportunity to think about the session, grabbing their bag. And go into the session so i think it's all like contextual to the environment that that coach works in but I, I i do believe that the more planning you can give to your session and the way that it's designed the way that you're thinking about uh the outcomes of that session the better it will be i do i do honestly believe that and i think you know we've all we've all had sessions like that where we've just pulled out a, a stock session because we've been absolutely chocker and we've uh, running, we're running to the pitch, and the group before has only just finished, and we're the next, the next slot on, and that that can become difficult. But I, I do think it's the more thought we can give to to the plan of the session. I, I just think, quite simply, it will be it will be better delivered. We talk a lot about in in podcasts and these coaching philosophy chats in general about your game model and and designing your principles and something that jumped out initially in your presentation that you sent over was these training principles. What are how important are training principles? It's something that you don't hear a lot about, especially over here in the in the US. I think it was more around what I wanted my session to look like in terms of. Not so much around the style of play. So regardless of whatever style of play it is, so whether I was working as an assistant coach for, for manager X or manager Y, whether I was working in an academy or, or or first team level, whatever it may look like, it was what what is it that underpins what I want included in my session? 
so I very much when I sort of did the analysis on all the 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 the, the Premier League goals analysis study it was well what what I've, what's the main thing that that I I've taken from from that study and one of the biggest things that jumped out of me was transition so many goals and people would already know these things anyway come from uh, moments of transition so every time I design a practice and it's not good of course there'll be some unopposed practices with, which don't tick all these boxes but in the little corner of my session plan of each practice I deliver I have three things that I try to tick simplicity transition and competition so the transition ones I already mentioned around even if I'm doing an attacking topic is it is there an element of a transition in there so making sure that I'm not just stopping it even if it was an unopposed attacking pattern it may be that if they miss they've got to sprint back sprint back to to, to a cone as if they're counter pressing something like that um if it's a game type uh, directional practice you'll naturally get the transition anyway simplicity because I think sometimes we can overcomplicate the practices so does the practice have direction is it easy to to, to explain to the players I think the longer we're there trying to explain 10, 15 rules, it's going to be more difficult for us then to be watching the sessions for the outcomes we want because we're actually just policing then the rules. So is it is it simple practice? Does it have targets or goals? So if possible, I like practices to have direction. And then the last one is just competition. I just think by keeping the score, it it, it just increases the, the, the will to win. It increases the intensity. It increases the tempo and you're also just developing that winning mentality so for me those are three things that regardless of where i worked i will always try and tick those boxes because i think that can be molded regardless if a manager wanted you to coach in a way where the team plays direct or plays with a low block but all of those things i think it's it's quite transferable it's just that the type of it's the way in which i would want to deliver my sessions so it's probably probably more the print those training principles is what I call them, but it's more about, I suppose, how I want it to be taught. Yeah, the the transition element is is really interesting. That's something that when I watch a Premier League game and you see them in trans, the ability for them to get for the attacker to pick the right option um, with the right way to the pass, uh, and always to get some, they get a lot from their transitions. Where if you watch at lower levels maybe it is a bit more transitional in terms of volume the quality is also a bit hit and miss but whenever you take that to a training pitch and you say all right such and such needs to be better technically in transition coach x may redesign a session that is controlled and slower but then takes away that chaotic element of transition how how do you think you could improve a player to execute those techniques in transition that's where I think it links back to making sure that transition for me, where possible, should be a part of most of your practices rather than it sort of just being worked on in isolation. So it may be that today's focus is on finishing in and around the box. But if you're a team that wants to be really quick at counter-pressing and regaining the ball, even though the work and the coaching points and all the delivery may be around we're working on finishing in and around the box today but you might just have a couple of things in there where you might just have a couple of footballs or cones laid out where if that team misses they've got to quickly react and take a shape off that cone because they've reacted to they're imagining that missed shot is the goalkeeper catching it and 
rolling it out to, to that to that cone or color that you may be called. And then I just think that that builds that reactions that you then want if you want to be a good team in transition, which from 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 some of the research that I've seen and, and a lot of us would know that the game is very much a, a transitional game with so many goals being scored within four passes then you've got to be very good at either trying to get it back quickly or closing up the space or playing forwards quickly and, and running forwards quickly when 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 we regain it. So I think just trying to have that transition present within the practices with how you design it means that essentially you should be working on transition every day. In that study, you analysed those trends then from the attacking goals in the Premier League. What are some ways that, that coaches can... You know, I'm sure there's a number of youth coaches here that watch Premier League football. Uh, now, some might watch it as fans and some might watch it with, I'm sure everyone watches it to an extent of ideas and inspiration. What are some ways do you think coaches can maybe get a little bit more out of that, watching football and taking stuff away that they can then again, use as inspiration or use as information for their players? I'm stealing advice, really, that someone... Uh, gave me once and it was around almost imagining the game was a little bit like and maybe the younger generation won't remember but a, a flip book yeah so it, rather than trying to look at the, the whole thing it's almost like imagining you're just taking a little segment out of the game so i'm just going to look at um the crosses that are coming into the box today where, where are they actually coming from you might just dot it down on, on, on a pad and if you take in a different little segment of the game each week, slowly you're building up your flipbook and, and building a picture of what the whole game looks like. So it may be that next week in your session, you're actually looking at defending defending the box, if I just reverse the topic that I used as an example before. So you might just you might be watching uh, Manchester United v Arsenal. You might, I'm just going to watch how Arsenal, what they do when they defend close to their own goal and around the box. What do they do when the ball's in this situation? What do they do? So rather than trying to look at the game in, in such a, a big way, you're almost simplifying what you're actually then looking at it. And I think that makes it easy to then extract some of the things you're seeing because then otherwise it becomes difficult if you're trying to look at everything at once. I tell you what, see when you do that you, and you watch one theme, the level of the appreciation you have, it say it's defending the box, you want to talk about centre-backs, body shape when crosses are coming in and how good those guys are. And that's what, what kind of annoys me about a little bit about social media is that there'll be 55,000 tweets about the VAR decision or whatever happened. Not be one clip about someone's body shape. So unless you take that upon yourself or maybe a small groupie is to go do and follow up on, you know, there's so much, there's so much learning in that, right? Definitely. And then their are clips that you could then share with the players. They're clips that then you could use. OK, well, actually, there's a clip here of the way that this defender's body shape. Look how quickly he manages to go from this position to then defending the space in behind. What would that look like in a in a session? And then that can then start to inform some of the ways that you might design some of the practices with with, with your players. So I think it's it's important to try and look at the game like that. But I think it's probably better to start with just trying to pick out certain elements that 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 you want to focus on to then give you uh over time little little areas that then become sort of like a a, a bigger project 
Uh, you mentioned there about, well, two things. You mentioned there about uh, goals being scored in four passes or less. And then you also mentioned at the start about tagging and coding. And uh, that's a question I want to ask you was when you're, when you're getting those clips of goals in the Premier League, how far back are you going for your study? Is it time, pass sequence, or what is it? Yeah, so good question. What I did was I, I, I took it back. If we're talking open play, if we just talk open play, because set plays almost speak for themselves, really. I took it back to where the re, the, the the last regain before the goal was scored. Okay. So I I, I took where where that regain took place on the pitch, what was the type of regain, and then what was the first action after the regain. The only difference I did for open play is I also decided that any time the balls went back to the goalkeeper in open play, so the centre-half has made a tackle on the centre-forward, plays it back to the goalkeeper, that got that started a newer build attack under a, um, a category which I called goalkeeper starting the attack. So if from that goal, goalkeeper having the ball in his hands or at his feet, they went on to score, that would go into that category. So it was either from the goalkeeper or the last regain of where that took place. And then that gave me the the, the the categories and I sort of built the categories based on the third it took place with some more information delved into to those areas. Once you get a study like that, um, and I'm sure there's other coaches that have done smaller pieces of work or, um, or maybe they just weren't interested in, but maybe they pulled something off online and something you know, a build-up like Liverpool or Man City, inverted fullbacks, whatever it is. What do you think the process, or how would you describe or or advise the process of taking a, a study and then linking that to session design? What should a coach take into consideration and, and through that with their plan? The biggest thing for me when I started doing it was actually understanding where 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 I was and myself. So, I definitely have a bias towards defending practices. I do really enjoy the defensive side of the game and coaching the defensive side of the game. So, and although this still informs that side of the game, one of the reasons why I did it was to actually understand and get better at some of the the the, the understanding the attacking side of the game. It also was twofold because I was then getting better at using software and, and those types of things. But I, I actually did it with a learning element in mind. I'm gonna, I, I should get better at so many things by, by doing this with the ultimate aim of it informing practice um, at the end of it. So I think the first thing was it took me so many hours and so much time. And initially that frightened me to do it because you're like, where are you going to find the time? You're like you're a little bit put off, but once I got into it, it was so worthwhile because it started to reaffirm. Sometimes we're in the room, we're having conversations, and we might have a belief that something should be done this way. And I had some of those beliefs, but sometimes I didn't necessarily have anything that underpinned it or backed it up. And it's great being able to go online and pull off other people's research. That's what it's there for. But to actually see some of the things with my own eyes, and to be honest, it actually change some of my beliefs on certain things as well because i was like wow i didn't actually know that and it's it's actually challenged some of the beliefs that i may have already had so that that was an interesting element of it so i think i've gone a long way around about answering your question there then how it looks on the pitch the 
where possible it's trying to design your sessions where those things take place on the pitch so i, I i've I, i've nicked the same pitch geography that, that, that a lot of us would have learned on say sort of the, the fa courses that we do here but i like that terminology i think where possible if you can it's so frustrating where you when you can't do a finishing session in the actual 18 yard box where you're using the reference points of the box you know and you're you then and if i'm not i'll actually mark out an 18 yard box otherwise i just the, you lose the context for me so i think if if you're working on a midfielder's receiving can that be done in the in the middle of the pitch so i think it's 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 just trying to work out what does it actually look like it's almost a game within a game you're looking at the the, the 11 v 11 game what is it we're working on today where does that take place what player does that involve and then what does my practice look look like based on on that you mentioned first about the things that maybe challenge uh some preconceived ideas or preconceived opinions about something what would be an example of one of those things that you kind of changed your mind about after doing the study in the premier league in particular it was how influential uh, and i know it seems obvious but i was a little bit surprised at the lack of success from static goal kicks so or, or actually i think that reaffirmed it there was only it was under uh almost one percent there was only i think if i'm on the top of my head 12 goals out of just over a thousand goals that came from a team's actually scoring directly from a static goal kick however in open play if, if we exclude set plays and bearing in mind this is only how i've i've done this study so somebody else doing this would act, may do the categories totally differently so actually it's, it's very independent to how i view the game as well but in open play one of the third highest methods the third highest methods of scoring goal was involving the goalkeeper from open play so it was the importance of actually the goalkeeper does have an important part in the premier league in the build-up but not necessarily when i think right if we watched a lot of sessions if the topic was build-up do a lot of coaches start that from a static goal kick and if they do should we think about having an element of transition in there where it actually starts with your team somehow regaining the ball playing back to your goalkeeper and you build up starting from there that that would just be a, an example from the top of my head of how that may impact your practice design if your topic is build up that week where does it start from why does it start from that and 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 that, that was sort of sort of something that that, that, would, that challenged me to think about that and it, it, what build up is in a different way well that's really interesting because in that example you've actually just outlined how maybe to reverse engineer the process would be all right so i know that happens with a with an outcome or a or an objective reference so now to go back can i recreate that in a different way than so it, it doesn't just challenge maybe an opinion that you or, or an idea you had before maybe it challenges the setup that we're because we're all taught you know you you see an attack and build-up session starts quite clean everything starts clean because that's how we're all taught to do things but the game's not clean no no another big one was around the methods of regain the third highest regain was a was a second ball so you attack a tackle or steal so which is a tackle an interception and then the third highest was a second ball and it got me thinking about the design of the practice particularly maybe in the academy game in, game in england where 
depending on the games program, there might not actually be many opportunities where there's a lot of second balls taking place. So therefore, if we know that that's quite a high demand in the senior game, how are we exposing them to that? So rather than in a, in a small-sided game, the ball just being started from the goalkeeper or on the floor from the coach, it, maybe do we do we create a second ball where a goalkeeper has to play long so that there's a there's some sort of aerial duel for a for a central defender or a defender and then that end that creates some sort of second ball moment or the coach does the same thing from the side so, so it got me thinking around oh, how am i restarting my small sided games because with some real different uh, subtle ways i could expose the player to some of the demands that they're going to be needed to be exposed to in the senior game yeah, well, now, now that that's a topic there because we talked before about you know player pathways from academy to first team um, in your current environment, and that's something that you know when you're going when you're making the jump from 16, 18 to first team senior to senior football, big part of that's got to be physicality. Um, as more academies become again clinical in their session design. Players are then exposed to less second balls and maybe hard transitions. Would there be an element of that that we should be building in the session design if we're looking at that pathway? Yeah, I think it's definitely something that got me thinking about different types of restarts within the games to create those different types of actions. Um, you know, because it's like I said, the one after second ball is aerial duel. Now I know. You have to be really, you know, when we're talking about younger age groups, you, you're careful with the heading protocols and so on. But if we're talking sort of the older age groups as well, it's definitely something that I think they, they need to be exposed to. But they can also be exposed to that through the games programme, playing a variety of different teams. So it may be that you're not when when you have a free weekend, you might play a non-league side. I know a lot of professional clubs over here in pre-season, they'll their 21s will play a lot of non-league sides. And I actually think they're probably some of the best games that they get throughout the whole season because they look so different to what an under-21s game might, might look like in this country. But I think, yeah, as long as we're designing sessions that replicate the game, I think that's the key thing, isn't it? What are the demands of the players and how are we preparing them in line with what their development plan looks like, in line with, in, linked to what the end goal looks like? Because I think we can't, can't forget what the end goal looks like. I think that's really important. If we're specifically speaking about that transition from PDP, so 18, when they finish their scholar at 18 years old, going on to, to first-team football, it's, it's got to be really clear what type of player they are and what are the things that are going to get them ready for playing first-team football. Yeah, brilliant, brilliant topic. Um, you mentioned video before. You also mentioned about coaches, coaches keeping their own logs. And, and obviously, I've, I'm assuming that you're... You're talking to youth coaches as well that can do that, but a, a common, not complaint, but a common, I suppose, challenge for coaches is that if they're not with a professional club or a, or a club with a lot of resources or a big facility, they may not have the facilities to sit everyone down and show it all. Uh, what are some ways you recommend they, they overcome that? Uh, iPad can be quite a good way because you can actually take that to the pitch. So sometimes it may be you're showing stuff in in, in smaller groups. Um, we're we're actually in the process of moving training ground, so where we've we've got a, we're going to have the luxury of a new analysis suite being built. But today I was actually using a small monitor in an old changing room, so we were just finding a way to 
So there is trying to find find that way. If you're going to a venue which doesn't have any indoor facilities, I think iPads can be quite ineffective. And then sometimes it, it may be about um, trying to trying to be modernise it. So what I did before previously was I started a and I know you have to make sure that I'm talking, making sure we're doing this all within um, safeguarding. But we started like a club Instagram. And we would put video clips on that Instagram because they're on Instagram anyway. Mm. Sometimes it would be clips where the coaches are speaking over it. Sometimes it might be, here's a brilliant example of Aaron Wambasaka 1v1 defending. And I thought that was a really powerful way to get analysis across to the players in how that they watch videos anyway. I yeah. suppose you could do that with maybe TikTok now or maybe, you know, maybe I'm actually uh, too old school saying Instagram, but, you know, so... <laughs> So, you know, I think that's quite a good way, particularly if you're at a grassroots level of how you can be really engaging with some of your content. You might have little minute minute, um, minute meetings, minute videos on this. So you could actually do it shorter, but more frequently, but just through the platform because they will see it. They will see it. I mean, you can send videos through through whatsapp or like the the team apps that you use to communicate with your players whatever that may be for the appropriate age group but i found that that was quite a powerful way of, of doing stuff because you don't wouldn't have to just share tactical videos it may be you've seen an interview on sky sports of um there was a clip that a member of staff put in our staff chat jamie redknapp speaking about just players doing the basics last oh, night I, I, I can't recite all of it he's just talking about running forward running back and so, like, you could put that little video on your Instagram. So that 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 was quite a good way. I think that's quite a. There's all there's always a way that you can do for context for for your environment if if you're willing to sort of be creative and 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 find it. Going post session now again. Sometimes, sometimes for an attacking session. I had this conversation with coach last week. Sometimes with an attacking session, when the goals are flying in, a coach or players can feel good about it. Because uh, everyone's in good form and there's momentum and confidence, sometimes it, it can lack that realism because there's not 50 goals in a in a football match. So sometimes, if a player, if it's challenging attacking session, there's actually not as many goals. How these dynamics and this thought process? How would you recommend a coach approach the post game review, self review first and foremost from from an attacking session? You know, I think that's that's an interesting example you've given because it's you're looking at it going, did they did they get practice at the actions that you wanted them to practice? So let's say you, you you're referring to finishing inside the box, like you said, okay, they're getting a lot of actions, but then are they then being challenged? So if they are scoring a lot of goals during that session, had you pre-planned ways that you might progress or regress that session? And for me, that just comes down to the individual needs of the players. You might have a player who's really struggling with confidence. It may be that, well, I'm not going to put two defenders so he's not even getting a shot. We're actually just going to purely work for him so he's getting a an opportunity to shoot. It may be that when you, you're doing a small-sided game, but the small-sided game starts with him getting set for a shot. If he scores, you, if he scores a new ball comes in from the goalkeeper. If, if he misses, the, the game carries on from there. But if we're speaking purely about that, that, that finishing session, um, alone i think that's got to be dictated to um by the by the players and what they what they need really to see what, what what you get out of it so it's looking at 
did, were they challenged throughout the session? Did they get practice of that action? And, and did it look realistic to, to, to what they're going to face in the game? You know, there's, there's game realism and then there's repetition and trying to get between that balance, right, between the two of them and then the enjoyment side of it as well, trying to navigate that through. I mean, what, what would you recommend a coach or how a coach kind of goes through, you know, let's say it's, a, it's an amateur grassroots coach that's jumping in the car after the game and that's not seeing the players for another two days. What do you think they should be doing in that time to kind of, get better feedback from themselves on the session? I think it's, there's, there's no, depending on your relationship with the players, it may be that you can ask them what they, what, how they felt the session went at the end. I think that, I don't think there's any, there's any, there's any issue doing that. I think you can also tell them from the enthusiasm of that session. This is where I, I go back to why I quite like my little tick list, because if I was planning that finishing session, if I know it does have competition, if I know it is quite simple to explain, if I know that it does have a bit of direction and the transition element, at least I know what they're going to be practicing. They should be practicing some of those actions in a game. I think the moment you add competition, that can really increase the intensity of the sessions. And then, if of course, if you can't film it, you're then starting to reflect on your session thinking, well, what you've got to reflect based on what the outcomes were. So what were my outcomes tonight? Well, my, my outcomes were tonight's session was an attacking session on finishing around the box. But in particular, it had a, a bigger focus on Johnny and Joe, who need to be better at their at, at finishing one touch because they take too many touches in the box, for example. So then it's like, well, as you're going back to those outcomes, did that, that session hit those needs? And that's where I think, I, like I said, I'm not, I know I keep going back to it. That's where I like to go back to my tick list. Did my session, did my set practices meet those? If they didn't, why? And if I didn't hit my outcomes, why? Again, it goes back to like we were saying about when we're watching football matches. It narrows your focus then, because if they're your outcome to the session, when you're reflecting, you can just reflect on those outcomes. Did Johnny and Joe get that practice at one touch finishing inside the box? And if they didn't, next time I revisit that, I might need to tweak the design of that to make sure that they do. Yeah, last few here now coming at a, an angle of uh, of a more leadership role of a director or, or maybe someone that's overseeing a, a group of coaches, and and you're not trying to give them, you know, not trying to give them a session plan forever. You know, you want them to to be a bit more creative, but you also want them to think a little bit deeper about how they're approaching session design. What are some ways you think a, a director of coaching could could implement that way of thinking? And, and maybe filter it down to others? I think it's probably around having some... It comes down to that almost like, how do you want to teach? So how do you want your your coaches to, to, to coach your players, basically? What do you... Is there any staple things that you say? So I know some academies might say it's only opposed practices, no unopposed. I still think there's a place for unopposed practices. That's just my opinion. I think it it's... it's purely based on the needs of the players but let's just say for example we're only uh, I, I, I want only want opposed practices and um, I want every practice to have direction so you might just give the coaches a little tick tick list of what your beliefs are as a club or as a director who's putting this program in place but then the coaches still get so as a coach working for that 
direct head of coaching or academy director or whatever their um, role would be. I'm still planning and designing my sessions. I've just got to make sure it hits the club's methodology, which, you know, is, is, is for me, it's a posh way of saying how we're going to teach the players. So it's like if if that's if that's how they want the, the 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 practices to be taught, then you can still your coaches can still get freedom within that uh, within that framework. So you're just almost providing your coaches with a framework. You're not giving them the sessions, but you're saying I want your sessions to include to look like this and include this, and that may differ from club to club. Let's say you're in charge and, and you you know you go out on a tuesday night and you're looking at something that's you've seen 40 years ago or you know and you're like oh no no but the coach believes in it you know the coach that's delivering it says no no this is this is what i do this is perhaps worked before uh, what are some ways to navigate the minefield of coach feedback in those roles without again saying go and do it yeah, I know. I know what you're saying. It can be difficult because you're trying to change people's mindset. Sometimes people are not so open uh, to feedback as others. I think it's about trying to involve them if they can see that you're actually trying to help them improve as a coach. And ultimately, and, and quite often, some of these coaches actually that coach in that example might actually really want what's best for the players, but and he believes that's best for the players even though you might not, but it actually comes from a good place. So it's just trying to find that common ground of we both want what's best for the players. Why do you think that's the right way? And just involving them in that decision. I think if you just go there and you're, you're going there and saying, oh, that was that was not good. This is why it weren't good. You're going to lose people. So I think, it, to be honest, I think that comes down to, and that comes down to, again, strength of relationship, doesn't it? I think that's like when we're coaching. Um, I might have got the same wrong, but players don't care how much you know until... They know how much you care, and I think that's that's probably the same if you're academy director and with your staff, really. If they, if I think that's the same process, to be honest, it's that relationship between you and your staff. Yeah, and, and then along similar lines, then I mean, you you come across as someone who's obviously very passionate about not just the game, but this learning around the game and being open-minded. And you said there in, in your in the approach before the study was to help you and open different skill sets and yeah. that mindset I'm finding I'm finding myself that that's actually becoming less common than you know this growth mindset was a buzz buzzwords a couple of years ago during COVID it was really cool to get with nothing else to do so we were all open to different ideas but I think sometimes coaching communities it's, it's quite a closed you know, very guarded. And I think sometimes individually we can become quite guarded to taking on new information. When you're dealing with a group of coaches and a staff, I'd imagine that can be quite difficult. So something I think about quite often today is is how a group of coaches can actually help each other. I don't know if it's challenge or check or whatever it is to be, uh, stay on top of the cutting edge you know, as you as you get into leadership roles in football, how do you think you can impact other people with the same type of mindset? I don't know if that question makes any sense. Yeah, I mean, my role isn't necessarily a leadership role in terms of overseeing other coaches. I can only comment on the environment now. We've got a first team manager who's just cultivated a really open environment where 
you feel like you can make suggestions be open it's a very it's very linked from the first team to the to the youth team and and the under 21s in terms of we're all on the same side it's you can go and watch if you're an academy coach you of any age you um, you could go watch the first team train no problem no one would have a would have a problem with it and so i think that's that's something which i think's been really powerful because i think it makes staff feel comfortable at giving their opinion and contributing rather than maybe just agreeing for the sake of agreeing another brilliant environment where i was lucky enough in the summer to go to right to dream um at fc Norseland in, in in denmark and the biggest big thing they speak about is psychological safety so that and they and i'm saying this second hand but i know there was a, a a coach cpd where the under 14 coached challenged the first team head coach around the style of play when they were sort of having a coaching debate and they opened that and it was a really open environment and the, the head coach was was actually agreed with some of the points at this um so it's almost like well when when they're in that room it, the role their title wasn't of importance it was just about the football club getting better um but i get sometimes football people can be insecure it's jobs change quickly and i think it's the nature of the environment where some people do feel closed and just want to protect themselves and that's i think you just have to navigate that because that is that part of it is what it is if you're lucky like i feel really lucky at the moment with the with the environment that i'm working in because i've worked in ones that i've been totally the opposite of that and it's been not not a nice place to be um and i just think that's that's just due to that 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 openness in and, and in that environment so i think it's just trying to create that and even if it may be that you're a group of coaches in a club but there might be three of you working in one age group you can just create that with for yourselves within that have that openness and that safety to check and challenge each other and i think that you so there's ways to get around around that um hopefully this wasn't one of the clubs you're complaining about uh luton town your time at luton a couple of years ago um obviously like them being in the premier league now in a massive massive claim um what were some things that or did you see any foundations that were being led a couple of years ago or, or any insights around that yeah i think it was just more how the the new well it wasn't new but the takeover when they were in the national league and it was just more i think how off the pitch it, the, the club just got sorted out in terms of being run far more sustainably um obviously as, a, as an academy coach you wouldn't necessarily be privy to the ins and outs of how that looks but it was just clear that there was a, a clear structure and model in place that's given them a platform to grow i was there when Nathan Jones then returned and kept the club up and that that was during the COVID uh where the season stopped for COVID then Nathan come back and then um the game the games resumed and I think after after Nathan came back and the club stayed in the championship they just really really kicked on and they just went from strength to strength and um, I think it's I think that they were, they were just a really good example of how uh they've done they've done things in a slightly different way I think they've gone against the trend a little bit um, in terms of how they play um and how they've maximized the resources that they've spent so i think they're there i'm sure there'll be other clubs looking at it i think brentford are probably another example of that if if you can put them in a, in a similar bracket but 
yeah so it was it was i wouldn't say i was privy to loads of uh, lo loads of things but i think you could see slowly what was being what was being cultivated i just think it's just a really efficiently run club with 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 good people brilliant brilliant last one for you then uh your your current role as as development phase coach obviously dealing with a lot more we, we talked about it off air uh, a lot more individuals and managing those individuals and it's becoming more and more of a of a role at, at and especially in the uk more of a specialized role um managing the individual in the team environment is is complex and what are some secrets to the success of you know putting it all together well so I'm ve it's very it's a very new role so i'm only seven weeks in so essentially i suppose the normal term would be like i'm an under 21s coach in a way but what, what's very different is we don't play in an under 21s games program so we have a smaller number of players so they're, they're not an under 21s team as such but they fall in the under 21s bracket so to speak so I, I, i'm my responsibility is we look at i look after 10 players and i'm responsible for managing the loans of those players so we believe and as a club that to best prepare them for the EFL rather than the under-21s game programme. We feel that we should get them out on loan to play senior football. So they have a blended training week where they'll have training hours with us. That might be with individually with myself. It may be when they're involved in the first team training. Also, they'll train with their loan team on an evening a week and they'll play for that loan team on a Saturday in our what we know as our non-league pyramid here in the UK, which is still very strong. So... I, I I certainly believe in the in the program. The club believes in the program. I think the players get a really nice blend between sort of individual development, team training, um, different different things that we put in place for them in terms of workshops and different elements like that. It's still in its infancy, and it's, I think what was all very attractive about it was not just the people that you, I've, I've now got to work with and the the quality of the players, but it's quite a new program, so I can bring ideas to it and. And sort of shape it how how we feel we sh it should be shaped, but I think just the fact that the players are, are being exposed to senior football, I think first one of the biggest thing that first team managers want is in players is trust, and I think the more senior games they play, the more first team managers will trust them. That's what I honestly believe. Um, not all the not all the time because I, I do think there's there's it's very individual. Um, for, for 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 players um on their own individual journey but i do think loans and playing senior football can can be a good driver to trying to bridge that gap between our youth team and our first team specifically at our football club all right what's next what's the next project oh do you know what i need a, i need a break <laughs> it was uh, that was so time consuming that one and now with the with this, this new rock I've, I've said to myself well i'll give myself a break up till christmas but i know what i'm like i'll, I'll start something else gary so i'm mm. sure i'll be i'll be delving into to something else as time goes on brilliant brilliant well jack thanks so much uh for coming on and and thanks for for, for sending that and sharing all that stuff and definitely keep up the great work and uh, we'll get another topic and get you on again hopefully Brilliant. Thanks, Gary. No, thanks for having me, mate. I've appreciated it. Thank you for listening to the Modern Soccer Coach Podcast. For more coaching topics, sessions, and resources, head on over to Coach Kerneen on Facebook or visit the website at www.modernsoccercoach.com. <laughs>